in this. Over 2,000 years ago, a baby named Jesus was born. They called him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But guess what? It's not just an old story. It's your story for today. God's not some faraway thing. He's not just for special people or back in the old days. That baby born in Bethlehem, he's still right here with us now. We're on a journey this Christmas, from the stable to today, and we're celebrating the daily presence of the King of Peace. He's the one turning our dark days into light. He's now and forever, the beginning and end. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray together. Father God, as we open your word, would you open our eyes to see you with a new lens and perspective? God, would you open our, our minds to understand you more deeply and more clearly? And would you open our very souls to be transformed by you and to propel your kingdom into the new year? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's scripture comes from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the town of Judah, are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, come and report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it had rose stayed ahead of them until it stopped right over where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they found Jesus with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned home to their country by another route. This morning, we're continuing the series that we've been in, Emmanuel, God with us. <clears throat> the Christmas season doesn't end on Christmas Day. These magi, as we just heard read, they, they show up on the scene and they declare that this king has been born. This king of the Jews, where is the newborn king of the Jews. And so this king has arrived. It's been proclaimed. There's been an advent. There's been an arrival. But if there's a king, right, then there has to be a kingdom. Because if there's no kingdom, what does the king do? And if there's a kingdom, then there has to be people of 
the kingdom. You have to have all three. But the question then arises is, well, what kind of king is this? What's he like? Is he like the other kings that we've interacted with? What's his kingdom going to be like? Is it going to be oppressive? Is he going to take all of our money? What's it going to be like? And what are the people of this kingdom supposed to do? What are their roles? What are their jobs? What's it supposed to be like? What are the values? What are the rights of the citizens? All those kinds of, of things. What is it going to be like as this kingdom has been announced? As I was thinking about this passage and reading through it a bunch in the last couple of weeks, I was reminded of, gosh, probably 20 years ago, I worked at Starbucks. Any people used to work at Starbucks? If you're my age, if you're around 40, you probably worked there like in your early 20s, right? Um, I worked at the Starbucks right off of Central and Walnut. You know that one? I bet you some of you actually went in there and I served you coffee and you didn't even know it. Um, I probably spelled your name wrong on the cup too. Um, I worked at Starbucks and I remember I used to go to Starbucks, right, and get coffee and do those kinds of things and get a pastry from the pastry case and sit down with my friends and chat and do those things, but I had no idea what it was going to be like to work See, I'd been a consumer of Starbucks. I didn't know what it was going to be like to be a participant in the Starbucks kingdom, so to speak. And as I got a job there, I had to start to learn the values. What, what are they all about? What does Starbucks really care about? I had to learn, uh, I had to show up on time. <laughs> That's the first thing. If you want to keep a job, show up. I had to learn how to make a bunch of different drinks, and I had to memorize how many shots went in each cup and the size and how many syrups went in this and how to blend this and how to foam milk and the temperatures that all these things had to be at. I had to learn how to like clean the bathroom and stuff, which was not fun. I had to learn all these things, right? I had to learn how to value customers. And if they wanted ridiculous amounts of caramel in their frappuccino, then I had to just clog their arteries with it, right? For the kingdom. But what was interesting was Starbucks is global. It's huge, right? So... When you walked into the Starbucks I worked at in Chino, you were in Starbucks. But if you walked into a Starbucks in New York, well, you were in Starbucks too. And if you went into one in Beijing or wherever, you'd be in Starbucks as well. And I bet you the goal was to have some similarities between all of those, that the, the coffee and the drinks would be the same, though they would be culturally relevant to their city, right? You could get the little city mug that they used to sell. But we were part of something really big, and if I did my job right and everybody in the Starbucks kingdom was doing these things, then what would happen is that kingdom would flourish and it would expand, which it has, and it's trying to take over the world, but it will not, right? When I think of that, it made me think of the kind of the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of questions about what is the kingdom? We use the word a lot. I'm not sure we always know what we're talking about. You can't answer that question without knowing who the king is, because it's his kingdom. Is the kingdom now? Is it in the past? Is it in the future? Is it a little bit of both, right? I think sometimes we're, and the Bible's not always super clear about everything. God's good like that. He likes to let us have some questions. Because Jesus has come, the king has come, the magi announced the arrival, the kingdom has come. Don't be mistaken. But there's still sin. 
I still mess up. There's still evil, right? Those things still happen. So we're dealing with this tension of God is doing these incredible things in our world, and yet there's also these hard things that are happening. We're in this tension. What do we do about that? And so this morning we're going to talk about the king and the kingdom and the people of the kingdom because we have to talk about them together. And it's my belief that the more we start to understand this a little bit better, let me just say first that you're not going to understand all this by the time we're done. (laughs) This is a massive topic. But the more we start to wrap our heads around this, I think it's going to help us make sense of some of the tension we feel as Christians living today. And it might help us understand what God is doing, where we're going, and how do we participate in his kingdom here and now today. In fact, if we get there, what you might find out is that Emmanuel, God with us, is not just something we celebrate from 2,000 years ago. It's not just something that's far away in the future. That it's something that's available to you and to me and to all Christians here and now today. So that's, that's where we're going. You want to go with me? I'm going to take that as a yes. All right, here we go. When you read this passage, there's a lot of tension here. Herod is not happy. The people in Jerusalem don't seem super happy about a new king. The only people that are really happy that this king has arrived is the Magi who are not even from Israel, which is really funny. And so there's some historical context that we have to understand going into this. And I want to take just a minute. There you go. It's on the screen. Check this out. For 600 years, Israel has been ruled by other people. Think about that. Longer than we've been a country, they've been ruled by other people. Imagine what that starts to feel like. You got the Babylonians, they take over, right? And Jerusalem gets taken in 586. They get exiled out of the land. Some of them come back eventually. A lot of them don't. Then they're like, great. And then Alexander the Great comes in. And he takes over in the Greeks. And then the Egyptians. And then the Syrians or the Seleucids. And then for a brief period, this Hasmonean dynasty... This is actually a group group of priests, Israelite priests. If you heard of the Maccabees, there's this revolt, and they take back Jerusalem. They take back the temple. They cleanse it. But then that doesn't even last because then there's a battle for that power, and it gets really corrupt, and they start fighting with each other. And then as they're fighting, Rome slips in. (laughs) And Rome slips in, and they're going to take over for, for a long time. And I say all that, because it's been takeover after takeover, revolt after revolt, no shalom. There's been no Messiah. Can you imagine if every 50 or 100 years here, we were taken over by another country? We can't even comprehend that as Americans. Right? You imagine what that would do to you, how you would feel. A new king has come, great. (laughs) We get one all the time. And they're awful. And they just seem to take more and more. So you can start to understand what it might feel like. And so the world that Jesus arrives in, that he he arrives in, is a mess. It's full of struggle and tension. Political abuse. Injustice. Immoral religious leadership. All these things. I mean, does it sound familiar? Right? (laughs) Sounds a lot like the world that we live in. But here's, here's the good news. God loves to arrive in difficult circumstances. He's like, oh, it's really, really bad. And he's like, oh yeah, let's go. 
Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I would say that Israel at this time was crushed in spirit. I would say that some of us today might feel like that too. If we're honest. And the thought of going into a new year, maybe you don't have resolutions, you're just hoping it's not as bad as last year. And I would say to you, that God wants to be so near to you today and in this next year. And God has a lot to say. In fact, God cares so much about this that he wants to dive in these circumstances that he sends Jesus at this exact moment. The king arrives in the little town of Bethlehem. And in verse 2, the magi come and they say, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We're going to talk about the king. And you got to imagine this. (laughs) I just love the Bible because it's so funny. They come to King Herod, and they ask, hey, where's the new king? Right? I mean, (laughs) he's got to be just like infuriated by this. What do you mean a new king? I'm the king. And so what we're going to see here, what I want to pack is Herod was the Roman appointed king of the Jews, but Jesus was the anointed shepherd king of the Jews. If you read through this passage, Matthew was trying to show us there's a new king. And guess what? It's not Herod. It's not Herod. See, Herod was appointed king. He was not born a king. He was born a king in 40 BC by the Romans. And he was believed to be half Jewish, half Edomite. He's not, he's not even full Israeli, Israelite. He actually marries into uh, the priestly line to try to legitimize his rule. But he's appointed by Rome. He has power, but his power could be taken away like that. When you're appointed to power, you're not really very free. If someone can take it from you, then you don't have it. And so what you actually find out is Herod is actually a slave to the system, and his goal is to feed the machine that is Rome. He works for the empire, if I have any Star Wars fans, right? He works for the empire, and it takes a lot of people to keep those big old ships going around the universe, okay? He works for the, he represents these worldly kingdoms. He's an earthly king. He's not free. Jesus, on the other hand, as he comes on, Jesus is born king. This is what we are celebrating. Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? He wasn't He wasn't made king of the Jews. He was born by his bloodline. And if you did the readings for this week, I had you read Matthew chapter 1. I had you read the genealogy. Because Matthew spends a lot of time to show that Jesus is a direct descendant of David. And maybe we're not like, what's the big deal? Well, it's a big deal because it makes him an heir to the throne. It makes him the Messiah. He was born a king. In fact, Kayla and I were talking about this this week. She noted, and this is really interesting, when you read the passage, it starts out talking about King Herod. But by the time you get to verse 12, his name isn't King Herod anymore. It's just Herod. Matthew is stripping him of his title, and he's giving it to the new king of the Jews, who is Jesus Christ. And what's sad is it's these people from the east who recognize his kingship. It's not the Romans The Jews don't recognize it yet. The Magi recognize the king of the Jews. So Jesus is born king, and this is really interesting. 
At the end of his life, Pilate recognizes that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And Jesus dies with the inscription over his cross that says, the king of the Jews. Our Jesus is born king and he gives his life as king. Herod had no claim to such things. And this this arrival of the new king makes everybody so nervous. They're disturbed, it says in verse 3. Right? When the real thing shows up, the people who have fake power get really antsy. And when people have power and they get nervous, they like latch on to stuff. Right? And so Herod is going to try to extinguish Jesus if he can. He's disturbed by that. What is this going to, am I going to lose my power? Am I going to lose my kingdom? And if we're honest, right, if we take a minute to be honest for just a second, the arrival of Jesus, if Jesus' kingdom is here now, it makes us a little bit nervous too. Because what does that mean to my little kingdom that I got going on? Does that mean I can't do whatever I want? What does that mean for my family? What does that mean for my job? What, I don't even want to talk about what that means for my finances, right? These things disturb us. They disrupt us, and they should. Because when the real thing arrives, we have an opportunity to recognize Jesus for who he is. And Jesus is contrasted here, right? Herod was this king that was appointed And he has this kind of fake power. And he lords it over people. And if you want to read more in Herod, you should. He is crazy. It's interesting, but he he like killed a lot of his family members, all this stuff to just try to keep the throne. Jesus is presented as something different. We read in verse 6, this is a quote from Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Jesus is king, but he's a different type of king. He's a shepherd king. And Pastor Don uh, preached about this last week. He talked about Jesus as the great shepherd, which really works out great for what we're talking about today. But I want to give you a couple comparisons so you can try to get that we can try to get this in our heads between shepherds and kings. Think about this. Shepherds are with the sheep. Pastor John talked about this. They, they move with the sheep. They go with the sheep. They sleep with the sheep. While kings sit on thrones that are removed from people. Their shepherds are with the people. Kings are separate from the people. Shepherds go after the lost sheep. While kings favor the masses over the individual. Right? Kings are all about efficiency, profit, and loss. Not that all those things are bad. Don't hear me. But the shepherd is for every single sheep that is in his flock. Shepherds want the best for their sheep, while kings are threatened by other people. This is what we see in Herod. A new king shows up and he gets nervous because it's a threat, it threatens his power. Shepherds are kind, caring, but fiercely protective of the sheep of their flock. Remember, Don talked about the sheep, uh, Jesus saying that he is the gate. And that the shepherds would actually be the gate. They would lie there so that the predators could not come in. They'd have to go through the shepherd to try to get to the sheep. But worldly kings tend to worry about themselves and whether or not they can stay in power. And they are willing to sacrifice other people to keep their power. But we, on the other hand, have the shepherd king who lays his life down. 
I mean, Jesus is a totally different kind of king. Think about any president we've had, good or bad or whatever. (laughs) Jesus is not like these people. And if we're looking for Jesus to be that kind of king, you're going to be waiting a long time. That is not how Jesus rolls, if he rolls at all. I don't think Jesus would say that, but you know what I mean. He's not that kind of king. He's a shepherd who loves you and cares about you. He fiercely loves you. He wants the best for you. He's not trying to take from you. He wants to offer you forgiveness and redemption and true freedom. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us that this shepherd king then has a different kind of kingdom. If he's a different kind of king, then he's got to have a different kind of kingdom. And so we've got to talk about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is an everlasting kingdom that begins in the heart and it expands to all of creation. And I'm going to try to unpack that a little bit for you. I want to start by saying this, and I don't want to get too much uh, into this, but the kingdom is now and not yet. So I have a little slide. You can put that up. To try to help you understand, some of you are visual learners, okay? Where it says this age, think of the world as it was, and then Jesus arrives, okay? He's going to go to the cross. He's going to resurrect. He's going to ascend to heaven. He starts the kingdom, and then we enter into this rectangle. That's us, the already and not yet. And then eventually, God's going to come back. He's going to His kingdom is going to come in its fullness. We live in this already not yet, this little box between kind of these two advents. We're in this kind of tension where God is, where his kingdom is here. If you don't know, the kingdom of God is here because the king came. But it's not in its fullness yet. That's why we still see things happening. But don't miss it. The king is here and his kingdom is here. And so what I want to do is I'm going to throw a ton of scripture at you. So I hope you like the Bible. Um, Everyone should say yes. Um, And I want to just show some verses that talk about the kingdom of God. I want us to have a more robust understanding of what the kingdom is and maybe what it's not. Because it's different from the kingdoms of the world around us. First thing I want you to see. The kingdom of God has its origins in the original shepherd king, David. We talked about this, 2 Samuel 7, 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God made promises to David that the Messiah would come through him. Jesus is Israel's Messiah. We are engrafted into that family. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things that God has been doing from the very, very beginning. It's why Matthew takes the time to show the genealogy. And so we can't disconnect Jesus from his line. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus is part of Israel's story, and we're engrafted into that. Secondly, the kingdom of God is everlasting. It's a famous passage we read all the time at Advent from Isaiah. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his kingdom and peace, listen, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. It's like the sandlot, forever, right? 
His kingdom is everlasting. It is not going to end, which means that if the king has arrived 2,000 years ago, then the kingdom is still here. It's not just this thing that's way out in the future. It's here now, which is powerful, and it makes us think a little about what does that really mean. The kingdom of God starts in the heart. This is where it starts to get real interesting. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is something that starts internally through the Holy Spirit. It's a kingdom that goes internal and it's going to move its way outside. This is where it's so different from other kingdoms. It's not just about borders and resources and economic trading and all those kinds of things. That's not what Jesus' kingdom is about. He is starting in people's hearts. He is redeeming and forgiving And because of that, you start to live a little bit differently, is my guess. But the kingdom starts internal. That's why it's confusing that Jesus, when he comes, right, he doesn't, like, overthrow Rome. Everyone was waiting for Jesus to take over politically and expel the Romans and take it back, and he goes and he dies on a cross. Because that's not the kind of kingdom he's going after. He's going after people. That's who our king is going after. The kingdom of God is established on the good news of the gospel. Acts 8, 12. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Listen, when Philip proclaims the good news is connected to the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. The kingdom of God is centered on the finished work of Jesus Christ. The life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus are the pillars for the kingdom of God. There is no kingdom without the gospel. There's no kingdom without Jesus Christ. So we can't talk about the two separately. They're one and the same. When Jesus, if you read through any of the gospels, Jesus says all the time, hey, the kingdom of God is upon you. The kingdom of God is here. Why? Because the king was there. And he's still here now because Jesus sends his Holy Spirit out. And he's in us. And so it cannot be connect, disconnected from the gospel. The kingdom of God is about redemption and forgiveness that comes through Jesus. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. The kingdom of God is about delivering people from these worldly kingdoms. And the way that happens is through redemption. We've been bought back by the blood of Christ. And our sins have been atoned for through Jesus. That is what makes you part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom has to have redemption. It has to have forgiveness. Because that's where true freedom lies. Which is incredible. Well, I'm getting tired. There's a lot, of, a lot of verses. Here we go. Say, we're almost done. The kingdom of God is made up of redeemed people. I love this. Listen to this from Revelation 5. And they sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. This is speaking of Jesus. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
Listen to this. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve God, and they will reign on the earth. We are the kingdom. It's you. It's the people. God has made us a kingdom. God's kingdom is the body of Christ, the church. It's not the stuff. It's not the building. It's the people. Which is an incredible thought. God's kingdom is here because God's Holy Spirit is in his people. And God's kingdom is in all these other churches that are worshiping right now. God's kingdom is all over this earth. You may see all of this stuff happening and think, God, where are you? God is with his people. Sometimes we're looking at the wrong thing. God is on the move because God is in his people. The kingdom of God finds its home in people. The kingdom of God will overtake the kingdom of this world when he desires it to. This is incredible from Revelation 11. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven that said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. Man, that's a promise. The kingdom of God is here and now, but it is slowly, however God's going to do this, going to overtake all the other kingdoms. That's a promise to put on your refrigerator if you put them. And it's happening by expanding to the hearts of the redeemed through the church. And I want to say this. I want to be careful. Um, We can often look around or we look at the news on our phone or read a newspaper and we look at all the other kingdoms of the world and they're toppling and they're corrupt, right? And they're a mess. And we start to get sad and we get filled with anxiety and worry. But they're kingdoms of darkness. Of course that's going to happen. And what I see sometimes is we're so focused on those kingdoms that we are not looking at the kingdom of God. Where God is saving people and redeeming people and healing people and doing incredible things to restore families and brokenness. And we miss it because we're so focused sometimes on all of the other worldly kingdoms. And I want to encourage you as you go into a new year, Let's pay a little bit more attention to what God is doing. Not just all the other worldly kingdoms. It would encourage our hearts. Last, the last one, and I read this a lot more than I used to. It's from Revelation 21. Read this every morning. It'll change your day. Then I saw... This is, this is the future. This is where the kingdom is going. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people And God himself will be with them and 
be their God. He will wipe away the tears from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That is what's going to happen. Tears, gone, death, mourning, pain, sorrow, wiped away because the kingdom is here in its fullness. Isn't that what you want to see? That's what we're supposed to hold on to. That's what we long for. That's why we preach the gospel. We want to see communities renewed. I want to see that fully realized. Don't you want to see that? That's what God promised to us. It's absolutely incredible. It's this incredible kingdom. When you put it all together, you see that we have this kingdom that's based on these promises from old. It's everlasting. It starts in the heart. It's centered on the gospel. It offers true freedom and redemption and forgiveness through Jesus. It's his people as the greatest treasure, and it's a kingdom that will one day overtake the kingdoms of the world and establish what God had once established in the garden, and we're going to be in that. And death and pain and sorrow will be gone. That's the kind of kingdom that you are invited to participate in today. It's absolutely incredible. And it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. If you're six months old, you're in. If you're, I don't even ask who the oldest person is here, but let's just say they're really old. You're part of the kingdom too. Everybody gets to participate in God's kingdom, which is incredible. And so what does it mean to be people of the kingdom as we start to close? We have this incredible shepherd king. We have this robust kingdom that starts in the heart and it moves outward. And the Magi come on and they find Jesus and it says that they go to him and they worship him and they offer him gifts and then they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod so they, they go on their way another way. And when I read that, I think these Magi are operating really um, connected to what God was doing. It was costly. They worshiped. They had to go seek God out. And then they're listening to God through a vision and they're going to be obedient to God over being obedient to the king who's in charge. And it gives us a little taste of what it means to be in the kingdom. See, the kingdom is made up of the redeemed and the forgiven, that's us, who proclaim the good news of the gospel. See, the magi seek the kingdom. It wasn't written yet, but they seem to already know Matthew six thirty three, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. That is what they're doing. To be part of the kingdom means that we seek it. We seek the king, and we seek his kingdom first before anything else. That's what the Magi were doing, and that's what we're invited to do as well. And they're willing to sacrifice. Think about it. They went on a long journey. I know how long it took them. More than a day, I could tell you that. Months. You know, have you ever been on a vacation? They're not free, are they? Right? So they had to pay for this. Maybe they had to leave their families. I don't know. They, they had to journey they had to go after this thing. It cost them something. To be part of God's kingdom, it, it costs us stuff. And I'm not talking just financially. I'm just talking about in the way that we're going to live and who we're going to be obedient to. So what would it look like for us to seek God first in this new year? How might it affect the way we treat each other, the way we treat our neighbor, the way we look at our job? Whose authority really matters in our lives? Whose voice am I going to listen to? 
whose voice I'm going to say, you know what? I don't need to worry about what you think. Gives us some things to think about. Other thing is this. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about how we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. This is what he says in 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. This is the kingdom. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the gospel. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Man, that's a good passage. We are ambassadors for the kingdom. An ambassador is someone who represents a country while living in another country. You are Christ's ambassadors. You are part of his kingdom. You're not part of the kingdom of this world anymore. And so we're supposed to represent him. God is actually making, it says, his appeal to other people, to the world, through you. That's how the gospel is going out. But remember, Jesus' kingdom looks different. We've talked about this. It's not about taking over you know, all the physical governments and instituting the law of Christ so that people are forced to be obedient. That's not how God works. I'm not saying you know, get involved in politics and run for governor and, you know, do all that stuff. But God is going after people's hearts first. It's about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruits of the kingdom are what start to transform people, which in turn start to transform the world around us. I want to say this. We live currently in a highly, highly politically charged country. And the Christian world is incredibly politically charged as well. I don't think anybody would disagree with that probably, regardless of whatever your political views are. And my word to all of us is that we need to remember as Christians where our loyalty lies. Our loyalty is to the kingdom of God before anything else. It doesn't matter what your, whatever, this is to everybody. Does that make sense? Our loyalty is to the kingdom for which we are ambassadors. And it can be hard to remember that in our world, right? It's difficult, depending on what your families are like. (laughs) Things can get pretty crazy. It's going to be a good new year. I know it. But it gets a little bit, helps us make sense of, where is my loyalty? And you got to remember, what is the kingdom like that Jesus brought? It helps us understand even how to engage in those conversations. So as we close, I want to ask you this. What would it look like for you to seek the kingdom of God in this coming year? Right? Herod is fearful because he doesn't want his power taken, so he's going to try to get rid of Jesus. The rest of Jerusalem are so jaded by 600 years of takeover that they're just like, we just want everything to stay the same. I, just, I don't even want to deal with it. But the Magi go after the king. They're willing to sacrifice. They're willing to go after it. And because of that, what do they experience? 
they, they, they find the Christ child and they, they experience Emmanuel, God with us because they sought the kingdom. And I would say to all of us today, we can experience God with us today when we understand who our king is, when we understand what his kingdom is about, and we start to understand what does it mean to be people of his kingdom. As we start to do that as a community, you will start to experience Christ today. Not just something in the past, not just something in the future, but something available to you and me today because guess what? We need it desperately. You need more of Christ in your life. I need more of Christ in my life. Our neighborhoods do. Our cities do. Our nation in this entire world needs more of Christ and it is coming through his people who are filled with his spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that the kingdom has come. We thank you that because of that, we have redemption and forgiveness of sin through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. God, we still have a lot of questions about your kingdom, about what it means to be a Christian living in almost 2024. God, we have our struggles, we have our failures, we have our questions. And the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be with us and that you would comfort us and you would guide us and lead us along right paths. We thank you that we're part of the church, the body of Christ, this community. We're reminded that we are not seeking first the kingdom alone. We are doing it hand in hand with our brothers and sisters. God, I pray as we enter into this new year that you would give us the courage and the boldness and the grace and mercy to seek your kingdom first, to have eyes for your kingdom, and to participate in that kingdom so that you can bring your peace to a world that needs it so bad. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.